Have I been anticipating this episode since I met this brother? But before we get to him, let's get to the co-conspirator of this joint, the creative man, the executive producer who done created everything you see except Leah. Put your hands together for money, Nathan. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? How's it going? Welcome to the campsite. Uh, got a tent in the back and I guess a visitor. I don't know about that guy, but yes. we'll figure out about him in a minute. <laughs> All right, and check it out, man. Before we get get into a little more Nathanness, uh, you know what? She's the uh, the new addition, man. She's like kind of like the uh, the Bobby Brown here of <laughs> Cap. The new addition. Thank Put you, your DJ. hands together for Leah Prime Ties. Yeah. So nice to be here again. Hi, Prime Welcome Time. Back. How are you, ma'am? I'm, I'm hanging in there, you know, pretty excited to talk some Bigfoot. This is like my uh, aperitif before jumping onto my stream at nine o'clock. Um, <laughs> first, first order of Bigfoot, second order of uh, UFO cases. That's a good yeah, night. Get you, get you warmed up mm-hmm. for the invisible mm-hmm. night. It's my kind see. of threesome, man. It's me, Bigfoot, and UFOs. What <laughs> <laughs> like, can I want on a Wednesday night? <laughs> well, someone, we don't really need the dating show that we're going to do next no. on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, that notwithstanding, Nathan... Yes. Um, how do you, it, it's so difficult to define cool. How do mm. you define cool in a person? Mm. Uh, effortless, man. If, if they're trying, it's not, it's not cool. Cool is just being you. Right, right. Dude, the cool problem. that can be cool, named is not the eternal cool, right? It. It's <laughs> just like Taoism. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, you know, this brother right here that we're going to have on tonight, this gentleman, who, uh, as I try to uh, work, uh, get an understanding of the Bigfoot world, thanks to you, Nathan. Um, and I'm, I'm walking into this world, trudging through the mud, and somebody reached out a hand and pulled me up out of that, that Florida swamp onto some reasonably uh, firm ground. Uh, and this guy is just so cool, so funny. The first time that uh, he came on cab, uh, Nathan's like, wow, you know, he just fit. I don't remember the exact words that you used, but he just fit. And I'm just like, wow, man. Uh, he's just such an impressive, well-spoken individual. He's an, an intellectual who has this deep understanding of, of Bigfoot based on spending a lot of time out in the woods studying it and talking to a lot of people and really being open to that. Uh, Nathan has, uh, I asked him to be Bigfoot-ish tonight. Uh, he, you know, here I am just wearing my Bigfoot shirt and, you know, my forest cold hat, you know, make sure I'm ready. And look at this man. He's got the campsite set up and Bigfoot's waving. In the background. Yes. Bigfoot's apparently a Slayer fan too. It's he, awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> he rocks. Leah Primetime is so damn funny, man. She's another one that fits like a glove. Uh, but this gentleman right here has got, uh, 20 years of field research. He's a former Bigfoot outlaw, baby. 
He's from the state of Oklahoma, Tulsa's own. Put your hands together for the host of Bigfoot Crossroads, Mr. Matt Knapp. Thank you. Thank you. Matt Knapp, baby. Welcome back, Matt. That that is the coolest my name has ever sounded. Can I get an amen, Matt? I'll tell you what, man. You are cooler than the other side of the pillow. I don't know how mm. the hell you do it, brother. I really don't. I, you know, neither do I. Right. <laughs> it's effortless. Yeah. yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. Works. Your wife can tell us about this debonair yeah. band from Tulsa. Just, uh, <laughs> oh, no, she can't. A, a, a band for all seasons. Uh, so. That would that would drastically change your opinion in a hurry. <laughs> And that's that the show for the night guys we'll continue. <laughs> it's been a great show mm-hmm. that in itself was cool just you saying that so uh before i i get into i want to see oh okay deb said you cannot hear me very well hi debs thank you so much love oh so tonight uh debs is not feeling well a little bit of an earache uh and let mm-hmm. me tell you something uh matt for deb to, <laughs> you know for deb to miss an episode it's of any, I mean, I don't think she's ever missed an episode that, that, that she was, you know, ever too ill. That's, that's how she must really just be like not feeling good. Hi. Hey, Hi, Deb. She's, she's saying hello to Matt. So, uh, so yeah, she really wasn't feeling well. Uh, we have Jules of the wood who is in the chat and, oh, if P- I thought people could hear DJ in Australia without the internet giggles. Okay. I'll, I'll check my audio to make sure Debs. Yeah. We've got the right. The right input. So unless, yeah, my mic is looking good. Sounded good to uh, me. Yeah, I think I had it too far away from my grill when I was introducing Mr. Knapp. Uh, maybe everyone's ears are happy about that. Nathan, brother, <laughs> take it away with Mr. Matt Knapp. Matt, okay, great to have you back on the show. This isn't your first time being with us. Uh, I feel like you're family now. You're, you're part of the crew. Uh, really enjoy listening to your podcast and your experiences I mean, we can go in a lot of directions. I feel like you have uh, a wide array of interests. But what I would like to start with is when it comes to Bigfoot, right? There's a lot of different theories. There's a lot of different ideas, a lot of different experiences. And you've heard a bunch of them, too. So what are the big ones for you? What is the what is the theory that stands out the most for you as to what they are, where they are? You know, what what, what are we dealing with here? Oh wow! Just come out swinging. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do it. <laughs> Some Joe Frazier business right here. <laughs> so, whenever this started for me personally, uh, it was an idea that this is some sort of undiscovered primate, um, something that has evolved somewhere in between, you know, the great apes and humans. And as you go farther along into it and get more involved, things start getting kind of weird. You start to realize very quickly that if that were the case, this would already be wrapped up. This would, this would be done. And as a matter of fact, less than I would say an hour ago, I was actually thinking about that very subject. And at this point, uh, which I reserve the right to change at any moment, uh, I would say that for me personally, I can conclude that these are not animals as we know it. Uh, If they were animals, 
like I said, it, it would be a known thing. They, they would be hidden the way they are. And whenever I say hidden, not just how they remain elusive, but uh, entities at work, uh, you know, government, whoever's in charge wouldn't have kept them hidden this long. Uh, so there has to be something more to them. Now, are they a human? Are they uh, some sort of alien species? Are they some sort of interdimensional species? Are they paranormal? Man, uh, your guess is as good as mine at this point. Uh, there are characteristics that are very uh, based in biology as we understand it. Uh, you know, they, I was just looking at some uh, handprints today that were left on a vehicle during an outing, uh, you know, with dermal patterns and everything. I've seen dermal patterns and footprints and handprints personally. Uh, they obviously leave tracks. They've been observed eating, drinking, everything. So you have all those things going on, but then you have all those stories of, you know, well, they can turn invisible or, you know, they can hop through portals or they can mind speak or, you know, all these other fascinating aspects of it that at one point in time, uh, I ignored, I, I kept the door completely shut on because as a researcher, you don't want to try to answer questions with more questions. Uh, you have to work and stay grounded in what we know, or at least what we think we know and understand. Otherwise you can't advance in the research. Um, but after hearing so many things for so long, now I'm of the mindset of keeping that door open, at least to the possibilities and hearing what people and witnesses have to say about it and sharing their experiences. And that's kind of what I do on my uh, podcast is just provide a platform for anyone to share their story, regardless of if it's flesh and blood, paranormal, whatever. Yeah, that's a great answer. Well, just real quickly, I, I, yes, before you, I, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I just wanted to point out the parallels between those who get into UFOs and kind of where that road takes them. There's very strong parallels here. It uh, starts out with it being nuts and bolts craft, and there's curiosity to that. There's there's a technology there. They're extraterrestrial. That's the conventional explanation. And then the more that you dig into it the more that you learn and and talk to people who've had experiences with it the stranger and stranger becomes the broader your definition becomes and uh and, and matt as you point out too that that raises new challenges you know how do you kind of prevent yourself from uh chasing every single rabbit and getting lost and then not knowing which way is up and which way is down it's a very difficult um i've watched a lot of people let it get the better of them <laughs> uh but now, uh, maybe it's because I've gotten older, I don't know, but now I'm starting to look at things as, well, why does it have to be one or the other? Why do we <laughs> always try to put everything in a box into a certain category, draw these divisions, it's either this or this? Well, no, it doesn't have to be. What if it's both? What if it's things that we don't even know exist? We're just basing things on what we've discovered so far in our time in existence. Uh, there is plenty of time before that, and there will be plenty of time after it. You know, there's too much out there for us to think that in the past couple hundred years, regardless of how advanced we've become as a species, that we just know everything that's going on and have a firm grasp of what it is to be reality. Uh, 
and th- this is a common refrain. These guys on the show have heard me say this many times when <clears throat> we'll hear theorists, of which basically we're all theorists to one degree or another in the community. They've heard me say um, that it maybe it's not this or that, it's this and that. And if you keep that attitude, then you're open to these new things. And Nathan's got some close friends who have had some experiences uh, who have probably expanded his mind on, on on things. Certainly mine has, and I'm sure Leah's has. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to say one thing to the UFO homies in the chat before I get Deb's question in there and we pass it over to Leah Primetime, is that we're going to try to bring these communities together, you know, and there's a reason why. If you are a UAP UFO person in the chat right now, um, you've had a modicum of disclosure that is grand by any definition. Where you're at right now, the Bigfoot community needs your help because there's dudes like Matt and dudettes. I'm talking knitting circle grandmas in Pennsylvania. And I don't know if you know who those ladies are. I'm talking about Matt out there researching uh, Bigfoot out in the woods at night in the cold doing this stuff. And it's because it's real and they don't have any disclosure. They're not even within them. They can't even see the highway you're on right now in the UFO community. So we're going to endeavor to try to bring some attention to it. I have a couple other things in the hopper to try to do that. But uh, the Bigfoot community needs your help, you know, quite honestly. I can't say it any simpler than that. Uh, with that, I want to go to Deb's uh, first question, Matt, is uh, in, in your who would be your preferred candidate for Bigfoot babysitting? Uh, and I think Deb has an eye on a certain woman who has a UFO show from Baltimore. Hmm. Bigfoot babysitting. Can I say anybody I want to? Yes. I mean, we're going to hope that Debs could be part of it, but maybe just we're too off talking Arla Williams here. Who would it be? <laughs> Arla Williams. Look at you name dropping. Ah, man, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to roll anybody out that might be offended. Uh, so I'm going to go with, uh, hometown hero, Gary Busey. Wow. Nice. I did not see that Gary. coming, but I love it. A, a face only Utah. a big could love. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you know, what's going to blow his mind? You know, what scenario can you put him in where he's going to freak out? You mm-hmm. can't, you can't. Yeah. No, you obviously Utah. Give me two of those meatball sandwiches. <laughs> give me two. So, <laughs> Set the beast right. loose. Yeah, let me pass it on to uh, Leah Primetime. Deb, I think but you're on. still in the running, though. You're still in the top ten. Yeah. Uh, so my contribution to the Bigfoot discourse tonight is my trusty Yeti mug. Um, <laughs> so you know, one of the so and like you'll have to excuse me because this is a subject very candidly I I don't know very much about. But DJ, thanks to you, has been a bit rekindled after our conversation in New York. Um, and I want to ask you a question that I like to ask um, experiencers in general, whether UFO experiencers or emergence experiencers, which is when you think about these encounters that people report. Um, and recollect, how much um, do you attribute to kind of happenstance, like being in the right place at the right time, versus um, the opportunity to kind of invite or deliberately induce these kinds of encounters? I think it uh, strongly depends on the person. Uh, You do have uh, a lot of situations, obviously, that are just right place at the right time. I think you have uh, very rare situations where a 
uh, Bigfoot, which I use the term Bigfoot. Let me just be clear. I don't like the term Bigfoot, but it's the easiest term to use because everybody knows what you're talking about. Uh, you have these very rare situations where they make a mistake and accidentally get seen by someone. Uh, I don't think that happens very often, but it does happen. I haven't been able to figure out the uh, road crossing situation. <laughs> you you have a lot of uh, encounters that happen on old logging roads, you know, uh, where they get caught crossing the road at night. I don't understand how that happens. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I also think you have situations where for whatever reason they allow themselves to be seen. Uh, they kind of present themselves to the person. Um, I, I, again, it's more questions. I, I, I don't know why they would do that. Uh, a person once told me very early on in this, uh, to see a Bigfoot, you have to be the type of person that would save a drowning dog. Um, and I think that's true. I, I don't, I think it might have a lot to do with being able to read body language. Uh, their survival depends on it. So they, you know, if you're in the mode of being a hunter, for instance, you're probably not going to see one. It's probably not going to present itself to you. Um, but then I've also been in situations personally with uh, other people where our whole research audience were based on bringing them into us to our location because we saw it as pointless you know, and I know a lot of people will disagree with this and that's fine. You have a lot of people who go hiking out into the middle of nowhere, tracking these things down or trying to, I believe you're in their territory. That's a fruitless endeavor. Good luck with that. Uh, but I do believe it's possible to use their curiosity against them. You have a lot of reports of them, uh, being observed around campsites, uh, or, a attracted to the sound of children playing and things like that. And so we would try to put ourselves in areas and cause enough uh, commotion to draw them in and pay attention to our surroundings without giving away that we are paying attention to our surroundings. So I don't know if that answered your question or not, <laughs> but again, it, it's a hard thing to, you know, classify any certain technique or any certain thing with these things. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I can, uh, I'd like to get Tim's question in here because I thought that was really good. And then, and then I'll go with, with mine. Uh, and Nathan, uh, here we go. So uh, Tim Halloran says, Matt, what do you think is missing from the research last study of the subject of Bigfoot? Common sense. <laughs> Just nice. to be completely honest, common sense. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Logic. Uh, <laughs> can't teach the the one thing that's not missing yeah. is ego. There's there's plenty of that <laughs> in the Bigfoot world uh, in the research side of things. You, you know, there aren't any rules. There There's no, uh, you don't have to fill out any paperwork. You don't have to put in an application to become a Bigfoot researcher. Anybody can be a cryptozoologist. There's not an actual degree. It's just a term that was coined at one point in time. Uh, so you get all kinds of people and everybody has their own opinion on how it should be carried out. 
what kind of research should you do, how you should go about doing it, the kind of equipment you should use, should, you know, should you be aggressive, should be, should you be passive? Uh, and so because of that, I mean, you just have chaos. You don't have any structure to it at all. Uh, you have people competing uh, against one another when we should all be working together because we all want the same thing. Uh, you know, I get that some people want them to be proven, but the point is we all want to learn about these things as much as we can. We want to understand what they are, uh, get them protected if possible, and kind of bring some validation to the thousands and thousands of people that have reported seeing these things. And yeah, I mean, there, there are, uh, there, I, I've told people that, um, I've heard a lot of research techniques that, um, that don't, don't resonate with me. And I've also heard, I, I guess you could say there are a lot of wrong ways to do this. And there's probably several right ways. There's not one right way to do this, uh, from what I've heard. Cause I've heard, uh, successful people who uh, some of their the uh, their their techniques resonate with me as something I would want to do and some of them don't but they're successful so uh, with that though Matt um, I'd like you to educate our audience because there's probably a bunch of uh, and we'll get we'll get you on the next round Debs but I'd like if you could talk to uh, our audience a little bit about Arla Williams the aforementioned and um, what is significant about Arla Williams what's your thoughts well, I don't know her personally. Um, she has always been, to me, she has been a person in the research community that has stayed in kind of a gray area. Um, I know a lot of people uh, that I respect that seeing her praises. And again, I'm speaking from a perspective of not knowing her. Um and this was even uh, when 20 years ago, the woo crowd, as they're called, uh, the people who believe in mind speak and that sort of thing involving Bigfoot, they were very, very small, uh, a very small minority in the Bigfoot world. Over time, that minority has grown rather large and that train of thought has become more and more accepted by a lot of people. And Arla has always been from that camp, trying to share the information, trying to teach the information that like, Hey, these things are flesh and blood creatures, but they're also doing this. This is actually happening. And from my understanding is she's proven it to people on more than one occasion. Um, I think she might be one of the few individuals out there that uh, has a very strong ongoing relationship with these beings, whatever they are. That That is an endorsement in itself right there. The fact of what you, that last sentence you just said. So just to expound on that, Matt, so you you believe that, that she, she is having ongoing contact from the back of her property as, as Rick Taylor 
said on the show that she's having an ongoing contact and she can communicate with them and all these sorts of things. Uh, mind speak with them. I think that something's going on. <laughs> uh, I can't validate, you know, or vouch for anything that she can or can't do herself. Um, but I think it would be a hugely orchestrated hoax <laughs> that, you know, she has been able to draw in all these other individuals and, you know, Rick Taylor, for instance, you know, it would have to be in on it. Uh, right. All these people would have to be in on it. So either she's an amazing hoaxer uh, and an amazing con artist, or she has something going on. It's just up to the individual to decide and determine what they want to think that actually is. If they agree with what she says is going on, or if they think maybe something else is going on, but uh, and, and it's not unheard of for people to be in that situation. And just to close the loop on that, and I don't mean to belabor this, but I'm just trying to get a sense. This is a, a, a Native American woman from Oklahoma. So Matt better be careful, man. Boomer sooner, all that business. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but um, she, so there are a number of credible people in addition to Rick that have been out to her property and had an experience like that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For, for a long time. Okay. That, that uh, I didn't, I don't know all the, I haven't heard of, of the, the amount of people. So uh, I won't, I won't keep going on that, but, but uh, yeah. Uh, if you guys uh, haven't heard that, you can listen to our Rick Taylor episode, but essentially he, uh, she took Rick Taylor in the woods. She had them turn up onto the trail, a family of them. And uh, they spoke in Rick Taylor's mind. And being a law enforcement officer, he was, uh, let's just say, rather skeptical that that was going to take place. Uh, go ahead and take it away, Nathan. Yeah, I got a lot of different directions I want to go. But uh, I want to come back to something you said earlier. And that's about, I think you alluded to, like a government uh, involvement or cover-up. Or, uh, you know, DJ shared a story with us in our in our group chat this week about uh, a creature that came out of a, a forest fire that was seven and a half feet tall and had been treated at a hospital. And the people that treated it were asked to sign like non-disclosures and things like that. So these are interesting stories. These are interesting anecdotes. Um, I would want, was wondering if you could share any other kinds of anecdotes like that, where there seems to be some sort of governmental or authoritative agency that's engaging in this topic, in this area. I've never experienced anything firsthand. Uh, I, I have to say that I've, I've looked for it to happen. Uh, the, the strangest thing I ever had happen personally was uh, some images on a hard drive I had uh, for a seemingly unexpected reason. The hard drive just crashed. There was no warning that, and I'm not computer illiterate <laughs> by any means. Uh, this was back in the days of the old, you know, 7,200 RPM hard drives. Uh, and it, I mean, it just crashed and, uh, I, I couldn't recover anything. Uh, and I had some photos on there that, you know, I lost whenever that happened. Those things do happen. So I'm, you know, I can't attribute that to anything specifically now things that I have heard, uh, I have talked personally to people 
uh, that were involved firsthand of going on a big outing of a fairly publicized outing down in Texas that had a group of uh, unmarked uh, suburbans, I think it was, that pulled up on them out in the woods, uh, armed people. I, I don't remember if they how they identified themselves. Uh, there was a, I think it was a park ranger or a game warden that was with them. Uh, but these group of armed men were separate. They weren't part of the ranger system or anything like that. Uh, they seemed very militant in nature, and they questioned all of them, uh, all the group that was there. They uh, basically shut it down, told them they couldn't be there. Down in Texas, this happens a lot. Uh, these unmarked government-looking vehicles showing up in research areas at the same time that the researchers get there, questioning, what are you doing here? You need to get out of here. You're not allowed to be here. And these are public areas, the Sam Houston National Forest, uh, just matter of factly. Um, and I've heard those type stories from numerous individuals, you know, people that don't know one another, people that uh, the, the story that I just told you, for instance, came from a gentleman that's like extremely skeptical and grounded. I mean, would never in a million years. uh expound farther than what actually happened you know he he was just he's the only one i think that i actually stayed he he's the one that tore down the entire camp by himself and he's experienced that a couple times one of my best friends has experienced it um robert yeah as a matter of fact robert yeah robert dominguez a bigfoot club um i've heard other stories of men in black types showing up at people's houses. I've heard of people being threatened if, you know, you don't quit looking for these things or whatever. I've heard about uh, people's homes getting broken into and evidence stolen, uh, wow. track casts and things like that, uh, entire computers. And then I think it was uh, like a week later, they came home from work and most of the cast had been returned and the computer had been returned, but the hard hard drive was wiped. That's but fine. We got again, the these are all just stories. You, I've never seen any actual uh, proof in form of like video or recording or anything like that. Yeah, but the, the two fishermen from Ohio, Matt, those guys, I believe it was Ohio where one of them was a former ranger, his cousin, uh, got out of the boat through rocks at what he right. thought was a black person. It turned out to be Bigfoot. And then uh, Bigfoot came out and engaged after they were throwing rocks. Yeah, and they were going to go on a radio show, and somebody showed up and said, no, shut it down. We can't do this. Um, I didn't but, know that. you know, again, stories. Um, yeah. I, I'm not calling anybody a liar. It's just that that's what this whole thing – that. Whenever somebody starts talking about government cover-up, you know, I just point out that they don't have to do a lot of work. It's not no. hard to cover it up it's not. because all we have is stories. Yeah. So until you have, you know, something on video showing those unmarked 
vehicles pulling up and armed guys getting out and threatening you. All you're doing is telling a story and anybody can write that off. But what you can't write off is that if a guy from Tulsa, Oklahoma can just get an itch to go out and find out if these things are real or not and get on the internet and meet a group of people and go out into the woods and end up having a sighting and finding out firsthand, yes, these things are out there. Then of course the government knows they're there. Of course the government is fully aware of them and has already studied them and knows exactly what they are. You have so many military people that have had sightings. Uh, Todd Neese was in on a military exercise whenever he had his sighting and he's been on numerous TV shows, spoken at numerous conferences. The guy's all over the place. He just retired from the military not too long ago as a sergeant. So, yeah, obviously the government knows about him. And his story was backed up by that special operator who came on air with somebody with this voice disguised. But the, yeah. the verbiage he was using, uh, having worked with those guys, was, was genuine. So yeah. I, I what he said, I, I found him to be credible. Um, anyway, uh, let me get Debs in there real quickly before we get to Leah Primetime. Uh, she wants to know how many scientists, uh, how many uh, other, I mean, we, as, as Vinny points out, Vinny Adams, we know Jeff Meldrum. How many others are, are, are in there, Matt? How many scientists are you uh, aware Quite of? a few. I mean, you know, obviously Dr. Grover Krantz was a pretty famous one. Uh, John Bendernagel. Um Geez. Uh, Those two were past them. Yeah. Uh, Todd Dizitel has been involved. Um, Melba uh, Ketchum, Dr. Ketchum. Yeah, she's a yep. veterinarian. Um, she's been involved, obviously. She mm-hmm. conducted a DNA study. Uh, controversial results, you know, again, depending on what camp you're in, whether you want to believe her or not, who do you trust is telling the truth, who's not telling the truth. It's, it's just all over the place. Um Kathy Strain, uh, a lady by the name of Amy Bue, uh, I consider her a scientist. There's more scientists involved than you realize. I, I know there's been primatologists that have been brought in on different uh, things just recently. The nesting project uh, that the uh, Olympic project is handling right now is involving primatologists and field biologists and their work. Uh, so you do have scientists involved. The problem is they can't do it on any official basis. Uh, you know, they have to get their funding from certain places. They get paid by certain individuals and they're not going to pay them to go out and look for Bigfoot or prove Bigfoot's existence. So, I- Matt, I'm going to ask you to tell about the, the Olympic project for our audience because I think a lot of people are not familiar with it. But before I do, Debs, Raz just wants you to know that Bigfoot diapers need changing while babysitting. So I want you to be aware of that. And Matt can probably speak to how big the feces are. We're talking Foster's Lager cans size. Yes. <laughs> you know, there was one time. The most on an intellectual <laughs> show on the, on the yeah. internet, yeah, I guys, know. I'm going to get this here. You okay. got to talk about scat, okay? Wait. Me and some buddies went for like an hour on scat jokes one time. 
<laughs> I know that. We'll get to scat, but tell people about the Olympic project because yeah, I, I've heard on your show it sounds like it's it's very very significant. It is, uh, in my opinion, uh, the Olympic project. So you have a group of researchers uh, out in the Pacific Northwest. I believe they're based out of the state of Washington, and they were fortunate enough to have a private individual uh, who I believe owns some sort of logging operation had a lease on some property and they had gone to look at the lease uh, to log it and everything. And they found these giant ground nests, so to speak, uh, very similar to what chimpanzees and gorillas make. Uh, now, whenever I say that, I say that based on that's what the primatologist told them they looked like. Um, he happened to know Derek Randalls, who's the head of the Olympic project because Derek Randalls owns a landscaping company. Um, so this guy contacted him through that network. He knew him through his landscaping company, but knew he was also into Bigfoot. And so they basically had an agreement that the Olympic project could research this area for X amount of years. Um, but then it was going to get logged and you know, their time would be up. Since then, they've extended that time. They don't know when they're going to lose access to the area, though. But they have managed to keep it completely sealed within the group. Uh, they Six did a years. documentary with Small Town Monsters who came in and filmed the area and everything. They've brought in, like I said, primatologists and field biologists. Uh, they've just been meticulously going over this uh, nesting area, which, to my understanding is one hell of a hike to get to very dangerous country, bear country, you know, like, and nobody has an answer for what these things are, where they came from. And I mean, there's only so much information they can release because it, they are trying to make sure all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Um, but I can tell you these nests are intricately woven. Uh, it takes hands to do it. They are not bareness. They, you know, nothing a bear created. And they were trying to do some environmental DNA, I think. And they actually, if I understand correctly and I'm remembering right, they actually deconstructed one of the nests. Mm -hmm. And these things are huge and weigh hundreds of pounds. And whenever they got the nest all you know, undone and taken apart, they found tracks underneath them in the soil that were there before the nests were in place while they were Ooh. building them. And they've also seen new things being built, uh, things being walk. They found things walking through camp. They've, they've got hours and hours of audio recorded, different vocalizations. I mean, it's just, really amazing and if i were a betting man i would put my money on that uh research being done right now as the cutting edge of everything that's going on in the bigfoot world can i get an amen and i, I didn't mean to hold you up prime time but i wanted just people to understand some of these you know big things that are going on that that'll give people an over under all overall understanding of what's going on in in, in Bigfoot research. So go ahead, ma'am. 
Oh, yeah, of course. Context is always super valuable. Um, yeah, so Matt, 20 years is a very long time to be interested in anything. Um, I'm curious about, <laughs> I mean, yes, <laughs> I, I may be projecting my commitment phobia here. Um, but um, that said, like, what views or theories do you have on this particular subject that have changed over time? Oh, geez. Uh, this being just an undiscovered primate? Um, is probably at the top of that list. Um, oh, geez. I don't know if I even want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's just you and us. You can just whisper it. In yeah, uh, Go ahead. <laughs> I find myself more and more on the fence in regards to what's being referred to as mind speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily have a theory that these things psychically communicate with humans, but I am wondering if we're not picking up on thoughts ourselves Mm -hmm. or I, I think it might be a situation, you know, so now we're getting off into the world of psychic phenomenon, um, which to me, you know, like I have my, uh, my pots and all kinds of fires. So these were all areas that interested me my entire life. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it would be more likely that some sort of uh, mental reception was happening as opposed to mental transmission from a Bigfoot to a human. Um, I can't, I, I don't really have another explanation for it, but uh, I've just, heard from different people that just are very emotional and very adamant i've never heard them say anything that you know caught my attention as far as uh they might be kind of a fringe thinker or believer in certain phenomena and then just they're telling me like i heard something in my head say get out or you know get away and Mm -hmm. things like that um which also goes down the whole <laughs> see i have to be careful cuz i'll go off on different tangents but you talk about uh bigfoot's often uh, associated with smells of a musk or a sulfur type smell and then you have these mind speak situations occurring and it starts to sound an awful lot like a lot of things that are associated with demonic activity and hauntings and things like that um so are there areas where these different topics start to overlap with one another? Uh, one of the first things that I ever kind of thought of, we were actually in an area called screaming woman woods um, because there were tells of hearing a ghostly scream coming from the woods. Uh, that night I saw a mountain lion. So I'm guessing that's what the screaming woman is. But it kind of, you know, I kind of thought, I wonder how many times people have experienced a haunted area like in the woods or something, and it's actually Bigfoot. Or how many times do people think that they're having a Bigfoot encounter when it's actually a haunting? Um, Especially around like old homesteads and things like that. Uh, I have an aunt actually who was living in Missouri at the time who never believed in Bigfoot. She knew I was interested. And then one day she calls me up and she was like, you know, 
have you ever heard of Bigfoot like slapping the side of someone's house? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I've heard it a lot. And she starts telling me these things that she's experiencing around her house. And she's like, do you think that could be Bigfoot? And I was like, well, I mean, I think it's a strong possibility. I've heard, you know, you're, you're just saying like the common things that people report happening that, you know, whenever a Bigfoot comes up around their house and she's like, well, you know, for the past 10 years, I thought my house was haunted. She, she just thought it was like poltergeist activity happening on her property. So I think you have situations where these things do overlap with one another. So you have to look at different theories and different aspects of everything whenever you're going into an area and trying to research or investigate an encounter or a claim. Matt, I was having a discussion with one of my Florida friends about this MindSpeak uh, issue. And, you know, I asked her her hypothesis. She says, I think they can all mind speak. And what I did is I, I kind of applied a little bit of what we said earlier. And then I also uh, applied the human humanistic sort of theory to it. Like, for example, we know uh, all of us here know people that can act as a medium that can speak with spirits, not while every one of us may have the architecture to do that, everyone that's on the show right now, we have not cultivated or been able to actualize it and use it, right? But, but per perhaps we have the stuff to do it, but we, we can't do it yet, or we haven't been able to manifest it, right? But we know people who do. We know Priscilla. We know others you know, that can do this sort of thing. Holly, right? Um, so what if, what if Bigfoot, what if some of them can mind speak, just like some people can go in, into a, a, a haunted house and speak with a spirit and find out what it's angry about, find out what happened to it and why it's, it's terrorizing people, et cetera. So what if it's maybe some, but not all, Matt, what, what do you think about that? What if, what if we're not dealing with just one thing? Right. What if not all Bigfoot are just Bigfoot? Um, there are things that happen in the woods that are the result of something not human. And by that, I mean, I don't care what human you have. If you make a human grow to be nine feet tall, which has happened, um, they can't twist a tree. They can't do it. They can't rip a tree out of the ground. Uh, they don't have that animalistic strength. There are screams and howls that have been recorded. Vocalizations, you know, in the mountains, that, you know, are far beyond the ability of any human. But then you also have recordings of something whispering outside windows, something talking in what sounds to be like some sort of language. Uh, you know, Scott R. Nelson has kind of validated the language thing for the Sierra sounds. So, it's my understanding if you're creating these vocalizations that can be heard for miles and miles and miles, your vocal cord structure isn't capable of speech like humans can do, but yet you have both going on. You have rock formations being left limb formations being left. And I'm not talking about trebos and X's I'm talking about asterisks and glyphs and, very intricate, small, detailed things. But then you also have 
like I said, trees being pushed over, <laughs> you know, boulders being thrown at people. Uh, you know, I was involved in a case, an investigation on a kind of a consulting basis, but I did go to the property a few times and research. And there were some extraordinary claims being made and uh, some communication was happening reportedly with the Bigfoot on the property. And it, according to these people, what they were claiming the Bigfoot were saying, take that however you will. It was exactly what you're saying. There was one Bigfoot that did the communicating. It was on a higher IQ level than the others, and it had abilities that the other Bigfoot did not have. And according to these communications, some Bigfoot could, some Bigfoot couldn't. Some Bigfoot were more of what you would consider a mystic or an elder or a medicine man or whatever label you want to put on it. And then others were more animalistic and uh, couldn't speak the same. One, one sec, Matt. We want to say goodbye to Leah Primetime, please. Yes, I got to dip. I got to go to the nerd herd at a nine o'clock Eastern. Matt, thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. Really, really appreciate your perspective. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye amigo. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks Leah. Take care. Bye. Okay, Matt. Um, yeah, and when when you finish here, we'll we'll get Leah's uh, question in there, and then turn it over to Money Nathan. Um, well, actually, yeah, hers can go in rotation now because she's gone. <laughs> so we can get Nathan. Now that there, she's gone. Did you, yeah. Did you want to finish your thought? I, I was just gonna say, uh, you know, some of these things, you know, you have to go in with the mindset of I can either sit here and debunk everything which is possible. Uh, you and I have had that conversation, you know, prove that your mother gave birth to you right now. Do it. <laughs> you can't, you can't do it. So anybody can debunk anything. Okay. Or you can keep an open mind and take the evidence that's presented to you and play the what if game. Okay. Well, if this is true, then what does that mean? And see where it leads you. And a lot of this communication that was being done uh, was using an ancient uh, druidic type language. I'm not going to specifically name it on air. I'll talk to you guys about it later. <laughs> uh, because I don't, I don't, there's certain information I don't like giving out because then if somebody does want to do nefarious things, they have more things to use and put in their yes. repertoire. Um, Thank you. But drawings were happening. Uh, they would leave out a notebook and a pencil and things were writing in this notebook and drawing pictures. Now think about an eight to 10 foot tall creature, you know, this big, huge beast for a lack of better term. Do you think it could have the manual dexterity to hold a little pencil and write and draw with it? That, that tells me that's something else. That's not an animal. That's not an upright gorilla uh, that's evolved with longer legs uh, for walking around bipedally. That's something different. Um, 
but yet they're living together. They're, they're part of the same group. So what's going on with it? Your guess is as good as mine. You know, Deb alludes to little people. Is that what you're referring to? No. (laughs) Uh, I think that there might be more than one thing out there. Uh, And I think maybe some of those things have learned to live together uh, for whatever reason. Wow. Yeah, Nathan, take it away, man. Yeah, well, I I mean, just as an anecdote from my own experience, and and it's kind of, you have to hopefully glean my question, because I don't think I'm going to be able to phrase it very well. But, you know, anybody who's lived out in a kind of rural or, or forested area, if you're out driving at night, you'll see a creature that you don't normally see in the daylight you know you'll see a raccoon or uh you know you'll see a a fox maybe or a possum is another common one that comes out at night and uh and these these are creatures that you don't see if you're kind of out on a hike in the middle of the day usually and i did see a raccoon in central park once which was kind of cool um so my point there is that there are a lot of creatures that live in these areas that are very good at, at not being seen most of the time, uh, you know, so, and they're not, and we don't even consider them to be highly intelligent or even close to having an intelligence that we have. And so I think about that in relation to this subject, that if you had a, a human level intelligence or maybe better, uh, well adapted to these environments, it would be pretty hard to find them. I think they would be very good at, 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 at remaining hidden. Um, you know, so that to me is a compelling argument in favor of, of, of what, what's happening there. But I guess the, where I really wanted to go with this is, is thinking just more broadly, right? So we've, we've done a very good job of taking the wilderness out of our lives and, 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 you know, we're all in these like manufactured environments now. Like we, we don't live in the wild. Uh, we're not familiar with the wild. We don't understand how to read it, uh, listen to it, interact with it. And in our modern life, uh, we've replaced all of that with, you know, things of our own creation. And so I, I, I wonder how that affects us, you know, psychologically when we then enter into these wild spaces, you know, how, how do we mentally engage with the wilderness when we're just not good at that anymore? And, and what, what's your perspective on that and how it may interact with what people are experiencing out there? I think it's a, it, it comes hugely into play. I spend a lot of time on the internet, <laughs> uh, cussing to myself, ranting and raving at my computer at just the disconnect society has with everything going on in the world. Just the difference of the way things were just 10 years ago to how they are now in society, for instance. I was raised by my great-grandparents, my actual great-grandparents. And my great-grandfather... was the oldest of eight brothers and sisters. He came from an extremely poor family in Arkansas in the mountains. Uh, And his father was an alcoholic 
And I don't even think his dad was around the family. Uh, he, he might've slept there on occasion, but otherwise they didn't even see their father. And my great grandfather as a child growing up, he had to provide for his brothers and sisters and his mom to survive. And he would go out and hunt and fish. And it wasn't a sport. It wasn't, you know, he got a deer tag, you know, and I'm going to go get, you know, a trophy buck to hang on the wall. It was my family has to eat. So he taught me a tremendous amount at an early age. I grew up with this contrasting lifestyle. You know, we lived in a city. Um, Tulsa. This map broke up. But I spent my weekends and all my free time out in the country at the lake, roaming the woods, learning tracking, learning hunting, learning fishing from my great grandfather, from my uncle. Everybody around me was an outdoorsman. People don't have that. Not typically. The majority of people live in the cities. They don't live in the rural areas. Uh, the way that life is conducted in the rural areas is so different from city life and they don't have that, you know, that connection, uh, to understand hardly anything. <laughs> I've always said, if you're going to look into the Bigfoot phenomenon and you're going to go out there and look for this thing, the first thing you have to do is learn about everything that already lives there. If you don't know what animals are there to eat, you know, the, the calls they make, how are you ever going to be able to tell what's not supposed to be there? What's going to stand out to you? And I've watched a grown man drop down on his hands and knees and, it, you know, look, Bigfoot fingerprints right here at the side of the road. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? And I'm just standing there looking at him like, that's deer tracks. Like you, you don't even know what deer tracks are, but yet you're a Bigfoot researcher and you're out, you know, so, you know, kind of a long winded answer, but, uh, I think it's, uh, plays a huge role in just the lack of knowledge and information. And it's only getting more so as time advances because all those people that taught us those things are disappearing. They're dying off and people don't care. The attention spans aren't long enough. People want to sit here on the computer and look at YouTube for their Bigfoot. They don't want to go out into the woods and look for it. They want somebody else to deliver it on a platter. Right. Deliver it to their YouTube feed. Exactly. And uh, I, I think it's that way with the paranormal. I think it's that way with UFOs. I, I, everything. It, it's just the way of the world. Yeah. Did that did that get it, Nathan? Or did you kind of want to know how they interact? Uh, how does that yeah. how that informs their research? Right. Well, I mean, I think that's it's a huge part of it, right? And I think just more broadly too, it's uh, it's speaking to the ways in which human beings are are different now. Yeah, you know, and um, there's something that we've lost, and Matt, you really highlighted this, I think, very well. You know, that we we've lost this connection. You know, that this connection that we had at one point to the natural world and 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 there look there's some great things about that you know amazing advances that we've had from from modern living uh, but there's a lot that we've lost in, in our ability to really connect with all of it and when when you take someone like me 
uh, and you put me in the forest, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with understanding what I'm, what I'm seeing and hearing. Uh, and so a lot of sightings or, or, you know, sort of, uh, anecdotes that you'll hear probably come from people who just have never, never been camping, you know, and, and like you said before, like they, they thought they heard a woman screaming and no, it's a mountain lion. Uh, I remember hearing coyotes for the first time and I thought it was the, I thought it was literally like, you know, demons from hell outside. Like it sounds <laughs> off. Right. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't know it, if you've never heard it before, I mean, you think like, geez, like is the world ending outside? I don't know. How many uh, times do you hear a sound outside regardless of where you are? And like, Oh, it's just this or, Oh, it's just that you, you know, you take someone who doesn't know, never gives a thought to Bigfoot existing. Uh, you put them on a camping trip with their family or something, some sort of outing that places them in the wilderness and they do hear something walking through camp at night. Uh, it's probably just a bear. Oh, it's probably mm-hmm. just raccoons getting in the trash. Yeah. You know, the dog barks at nothing, right? Uh, there's no telling how often that nothing is actually something you're, you're expecting. If, if you see something big and hairy standing on two legs in the woods, it's a bear. And if right. you've never seen a bear in the wild, it, I, 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 you know, that didn't really look like a bear, but it, it has to be a bear. Right. So that just goes unreported. Mm-hmm. It just goes ignored. And because of that mindset, whenever somebody does come forward and say, Oh my God, I saw a Bigfoot. Uh, it was probably a bear. You know, it's probably just a, a homeless guy because <laughs> the homeless population lives away from society and lives yeah, out right. in the wilderness, apparently. Yes. Uh, Covered with hair. Um, so we have some, some questions in the chat here. Plus we got, we have Deb. So I'm going to get the one from blue, uh, love the blue ish lane, the blue ish crayon. Sorry. Okay. Um, Celine. Uh, right here, Matt, and this this gets to my the discussion we were having on my way to Subaru yesterday about the handprint on the window that I'll get with you. But let's get with her part of it, Matt. Why does Bigfoot have hair but live in a forest? Um, I would say the answer to the first question is the second part of the question because they <laughs> live in the forest. Uh, we don't Lady have our ten year old. Just to yeah. let, to let you know, we, we don't have hair growing that long on our bodies because we learned how to control fire and we built uh, shelters, you know, that we can insulate that protects us from the elements and Bigfoot doesn't have that. Uh, So they've had to adapt with their hair. This is just my theory. (laughs) You know, they've had to retain their hair uh, for insulation and from protection from the elements, just like all the other creatures that live in the forest. Yeah. And we'll, I'm going to get into this, but Lane, the, the bluish crayon. If you're our friend uh, that's supposed to come on with us, that's the uh, 10-year-old, and Landon, right, is your brother. So uh, we're, we're going to get you on here so we can uh, we can talk UFOs and Bigfoot and paranormal with you. So uh, your dad is going to reach out to us. Uh, but anyway, uh, Matt, so we, we, we discussed this. Um, so you were talking about the handprint and the, and the oil. So yeah. my hypothesis is that the oil uh, that may be on their hand and on their skin would protect them from the rain. Because if you're obviously a humanoid creature that has uh, that has hair uh, that's out there and you don't have the fur that sort of sheds the water the way that a bear does or and certain breeds of dog, um, could you see where that's possible? That actually maybe they do secrete 
in the oil from their skin. What do you think about that? I do think that's a possibility. There's obviously examples of other animals out there in the wild. Uh, otters come to mind. Uh, even, you know, a lot of avians, a lot of birds uh, have specialized oils that repel water. Um, so that is absolutely a possibility if they do, in fact, secrete these oils or have these this oily skin uh, that is currently being theorized. Well, there you go. See, we're not even going to have our first debate because we agree on that. So, <laughs> all right. So, so Debs, um, is there any indication uh, she'd like to know that Bigfoot has technology or tools? I believe uh, they do prefer Android over iPhone, uh, believe it or not, which is a huge disconnect from, you know, modern society. Um, My people. <laughs> as far as tools are concerned, uh, I think so. But I mean, what do you define as a tool? So uh, one of the things that is commonly associated with Bigfoot activity is wood knocks. Uh, these, you know, the idea that they smack tree trunks with tree limbs. Uh, so that would be a form of tool usage. I have heard of uh, certain situations where people have found uh stone tool implements and things like that um were these actual tools used by bigfoot were they tools at all who knows um actually dj and i were just recently talking about the area x situation uh the north american wood ape conservancy at one point in time found uh where something was using a rock to break open uh, acorns and walnuts or something like that uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so what was out there using a rock to bust open nuts? I don't think uh, squirrels do that. Um, so in that situation, it's a, it's a high possibility that, yeah, Bigfoot would use tools. Um, the only problem I have is uh, fire usage. Obviously they would have to, figure out how to create it or steal it from a campfire. But going back to that earlier question about Bigfoot having that long hair, I think it'd be pretty dangerous for a Bigfoot to try to mess around with fire. That, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, that it would be that uh, getting burnt in any sort of a fire that we would cook with. Is that, uh, and by the way, so Tim Halloran uh, uh, that was in there, you had some great questions. If I don't know if you're still in the chat or if you've left, I'll connect with you offline about one of your questions. Uh, so if you if you can catch me on Twitter, you see my handle there. But I, I'd like to connect with you on one of your questions. Um, so does that uh, lead to why they're not eating the parts of the, the animal, like uh, the thighs, and they seem to eat the guts of the deer? Is that correct? Um, <laughs> wow. I didn't Do expect that. Um, oh, hey, come on, man. Okay, you know, so there is this no situation. Yeah, so there is this situation where some colleagues of mine found um, an armadillo. Uh, the armadillo was uh, freshly deceased. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, cut open in a very uh, sort of jagged cut. It wasn't a, a sharp knife cut or anything like that, but it wasn't ripped mm -hmm. along its stomach. Uh, it appeared that the internal organs, such as the liver and heart, were missing. And the carcass 
had been pulled apart in such a way that the blood was all pooled inside of the cavity and wasn't spilling out on the ground. And inside uh, the body, they found one of the claws of the armadillo, uh, which led them to believe that the claw had actually been removed and used cut. to cut open the armadillo. Wow. Um, organs, uh, livers, and hearts, I don't remember which uh, vitamin or nutrient or whatever it is, but it actually aids in nocturnal vision. Um, so it was kind of a thought of mine that that's probably why they target those. Uh, those are your highest sources of everything that you would need. Uh, a lot of deer kills are found with the legs broken and twisted. And uh, if anyone's familiar with hunting, uh, broken bones and things of that nature uh, can spoil the meat. Um, so that might be another reason that they kind of stay away from, you know, the muscle tissue and things like that mm -hmm. in certain situations. Um, but again, all speculation and theory. Uh, Tim right here, Tim. So Tim, you're still here. Matt, love your podcast. What has been your biggest challenge with running the podcast? Oh, geez. Uh, my biggest challenge is you told me the other day. <laughs> did i you did it's tough to find an experiencer like it's, every week it is it, it i don't have a team helping me uh it would be great if i did but it's just me and it's hard to find someone willing to come on and share their experience every week it's hard to find people that aren't just making the rounds on all the other podcasts. Um, I could go the route of having guests on like Dr. Meldrum, you know, and different researchers and stuff like that. Uh, but honestly, I've been around for so long, you know, I've talked to all those people and they do go on all the different podcasts already. They go to all the conferences and I like to give people without a voice, a chance to have a voice to put in their opinions, to, you know, get their stories out there. Um, and sometimes I focus on people who have been on other shows, but I think that their stories are really important. I think people need to listen to them again. I think, you know, sometimes I haven't ran across where they've been asked certain questions that I want to ask them. So I want to have them on my show just so I can ask them certain questions and see how they answer. Uh, and I want to help people listening, people that have had experiences that think, you know, like, am I crazy? Did I really experience that? Uh, has anybody else experienced something like this? Or people, you know, you know, I tried to tell my family and they just laughed at me. I don't have anywhere to turn. And maybe they'll never come on a show. Maybe they'll never fill out a sighting report. But I want to have that opportunity of just maybe they're going to listen to somebody else tell their story and it's going to make them feel a little bit better about themselves. Nathan, people wonder why this brother is already a member of Cab Fam, already our Bigfoot correspondent and fill-in co-host. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's that's, that's what we're all about, right? Uh, fostering community, allowing people to have conversation, um, not necessarily going for 
the folks that uh, are making the rounds. I think that's all very important. Just listening, right? Listening to what people have to say. Um, Jules has something there. Just yeah. What, so Jules, Jules has a question here. Have you heard of accounts of Sasquatch with orbs or UFOs? Yeah, I'd love to go there. I have. Uh, it's one of my deep fascinations. Uh, trying to figure out if the two are connected. Obviously, whenever you get away from the city lights, out in the woods, out in the country, you're in areas where Bigfoot are usually found. You're also away from those lights where you can see the night sky a lot easier. Uh, so is that all it is? You just happen to be experiencing two things at the same time that are completely unrelated. Maybe. Uh, these orbs... You know, <laughs> I've never seen an orb out in the woods. I've talked to a lot of people that I know for sure are not lying to me that have seen orbs out in the woods. Again, are these orbs connected to the Bigfoot activity? Uh, even in situations, I had a guest on my show that saw an orb and then had a Bigfoot experience at the same time. Was the Bigfoot drawn to the orb just like you would be? Or are they actually connected somehow? A long time ago, I heard a story about uh, people witnessing a UFO landing in a field. And orbs came out of the bottom of this UFO. And the orbs grew in size and morphed into Bigfoot that ran off into the tree line. Just an anecdotal story. But is there something to it? You know, like, is there a connection to all three of these things? Uh, or is it just a Bigfoot sees an orb glowing out in the woods and goes to see what's going on? Uh, is that a human? Do I need to be worried? I need to go see what this is. And a human happens to be there and witnesses both of them at the same time. I, you know, I'm, I'm open to all of it at this point. But well, all I can say is for certainty, yes, orbs are being seen in areas that have Bigfoot activity, 100%. Are they connected? Your guess is as good as anybody else's. But credible sources. And by the way, that goes all the way back to, I don't know if it's 1971 or 76 with uh, Ron Moorhead and company out at the hunting site saw multiple uh, uh, orbs in the woods, including the light beam. Uh, going through the woods, if you guys remember that from Missing 411. And uh, I believe, Matt, there are others that have seen that lightsaber-looking... I can't remember who that was going through the woods. Correct? Have you heard yeah, that? I, I'm, I'm trying to remember who who, who that was. Yeah, I can't remember either. We'll, 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 we'll try to get to that. But um, Debs has a question. Um, are there support groups for Bigfoot experiencers who have ontological shock so we got a little exo academianism right there nathan hail exo and and julie actually answered that question that dr simeon hine has a group that meet every other thursday but do you know of another group uh, uh matt i do not um okay. i i would love to see it happen mm -hmm. um i think that is a huge part of it i mean i've had so many guests on my show that could really benefit from a group like that um sometimes as a matter of fact there was 
uh, one guest I had on my show, and and this isn't uh, necessarily Bigfoot related. The things that she was sharing with me, I asked her, um, have you or do you believe you've been abducted? And she said yes. And at that point, I kind of froze. And I was just like, you know, I'm just going to have to stop that direction of conversation right now. It's no offense to you. I'm not saying I don't believe you or anything like that. But like, that's something that I have no uh, way of helping with. You know, that that calls for people that know what they're doing. Uh, these people, regardless of if you believe their stories or not, are going through something extremely emotional, psychological, traumatizing. And I really wish we had uh, people that, you know, professionals to help these people, to listen to them, uh, even if they don't necessarily believe them, just to help them with the trauma of what they've experienced and encountered and having to cope with that. Uh, even if they haven't shared their story, sometimes I believe it can be more traumatizing for the person not to share their experience and have to keep it bottled up, living with that anxiety and that fear of what would people think if they knew. Yeah. Uh, we've heard that in the UFO community as well. And I want to, if I want to say to the audience here, if you've had something like that, a Bigfoot experience that you find traumatizing, you see the Twitter handle on the screen at a study of UAP. She has a UAP medical coalition. I'm pretty certain Debs has somebody there that you can talk to that's either an experiencer uh, that's in the, in the medical or psychological profession, which Deb is, and uh, would be happy to speak with you. If you don't have somewhere to go, I am positive that Deb will speak to you. So hit her up on Twitter and we'll have her information for the UAP Medical Coalition in the show notes, uh, their website, whatever their contact info, it'll be in the show notes of this episode. Um, Nathan, is it your turn or my turn? Because I don't know. I was going to ask a question. Uh, you know, we had John and, and uh, John Dover and, and Stan Milford on. And, you know, Matt, you were a little bit a part of that too, I think. But uh, the... The cool thing about that for me was the degree to which there was more of an official connection with uh, the investigation you know, that they had been tasked by their superiors to look into this stuff. And I was wondering in, in the kind of Sasquatch community, you know, is there, have there been instances where the, where any agency has kind of gotten close to, uh, giving some sort of official acknowledgement to that, that there's a there there. Is there any kind of, you know, historical document that references this uh, in any way? Like what, what, what are some of the, the stories there? I mean, you've got a couple of places, you know, Washington comes to mind instantly. You know, they did pass a law protecting these things. Mm -hmm. um, I believe there's a couple other places around the United States that have similar laws. Most of it's kind of done tongue in cheek. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe even the Washington law was enacted on April Fool's Day. Uh, now, is that a way to do it and make it look like they're not doing it? You know, who knows? Um, you have uh, the hair samples that I believe it was Peter Bernson and the FBI in the 70s 
where they did look at them and everything. And those documents are available on the internet. You know, they didn't conclude anything, obviously. Um, I've talked to uh, at least one park ranger personally that, you know, acknowledged these things um, existing, not, but not, you know, on an official level, just, you know, like, I'll deny it if you ever ask, but yeah. Um, but as far as like any sort of, uh, law enforcement or government group just coming out and, you know, backing witnesses or anything like that, nothing really comes to mind that they can't readily dismiss or deny. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just know how much of a difference that makes. And DJ alluded to this right at the beginning of the show, just that we've gotten numerous, you know, sort of acknowledgments to the reality of, of UFOs and UAP. Uh, it's risen up to the level of Congress now. And, right. uh, you know, it's just it's frustrating. It has to be frustrating uh, for those that have had these experiences and to just not have validation from the agencies or you know authorities in our society that we would generally look to for that kind of validation do you, do you yeah think that I mean, that's, coming? Is, that, is that a possibility it depends on what we do ourselves in the private sector if we go out and get video showing one of these things doing something that a human can't do if a truck driver smacks one you know, going down a logging road or something, uh, certain situations where a body could be presented, um, where they couldn't deny it or they couldn't cover it up, then that day would happen (laughs) outside of that. For some reason they've hit it this long. I don't know why they would ever finally come forward and say, yeah, I mean, with UFOs, UAPs, they can't deny it anymore. Something's going on. Obviously something was going on beforehand, you know, as DJ can tell you, I'm sure, uh, by the time we hear about something from the government, it's been in the works for decades. Uh, I was just reading an article the other day that was talking about uh, some drone program that they were using back in the sixties or fifties even, uh, to, you know, and we're just now getting our hands on drones in the public. Uh, I don't, I, that's really what bothers me the most about the UFO thing. I'm one of those people who has always been interested in the UFO phenomenon, but never had an open door to get involved or, you know, really talk to people about it. Got one now. yeah but uh whenever they finally came out whenever i first saw the article about the gimbal footage i was like are you kidding me this is actually happening i mean whenever you got all the major news networks doing stories on it and they're not making a joke you know this is a real thing they're acknowledging it that happened and it blew my mind i couldn't believe it and i look around and society is just When's the new iPhone coming out? You know, did you get your Yeezys? Like they don't care. They don't. They, everybody <laughs> always talked all those years. You know, well, they're doing it for our own safety. People would go nuts 
they'd lose their minds if the government ever acknowledged it. Well, here they are. Nobody lost their minds. Um, but my question is, why? Why are they acknowledging it now? There's got to be something we don't know. There has to be. To, to a degree, because there's still a lot of people that don't believe it. And you still haven't had an fit. You haven't had that press conference that tells the entirety, you know, where it's on every cable news channel at the same time acknowledging it. And uh, we've talked about this. So we've basically talked about this in the UFO context the same way, Nathan, just ask you, what's it going to take? And, and somebody in the chat asked you that as well. I think it might have been Tim Halloran. But um, uh, we've said, and I think Nathan and Debs agree, if you have an irrefutable contact in situation where live news, it's on wh whomever your favorite cable news channel is, because that's the only one that people are going to believe is the one they like, or their local news in some cases, uh, that have a live feed of this craft, and then they're going to say, okay, now you we can't deny it because it was on everything. And... I think it would take the same thing with, with Bigfoot, in my opinion. So. Well, fortunately, we live in a time where pretty much anybody on the planet can go live anytime they want to, mm -hmm. if they know how. Uh, that is something that I think anybody studying any unexplained phenomenon should educate themselves on and always be able to go live at the drop of a dime. Uh if you can go live and get it out on the internet just long enough for other people to snag it, then you don't have to worry. They can't shut it down. There's too many people out there that have it. You know, I, I've watched, you know, there's been lots of different uh, tragedies that have happened that have been caught on video that have made it to YouTube. And I've watched YouTube try to shut it down. I used to work for an actual news website. So I've seen it happen and the people that already got copies of the video and ran to Reddit and 4chan and everywhere else with it, YouTube couldn't keep up with them. They did their best. They, you know, got their algorithm on it, but those videos are still out there. They still circulate, you know, they still exist and they can't erase all of them because somebody will just put a thousand more up in the next hour. Uh, a situation like that, again, if you can get, clear footage of something happening that can't be hoax that a human can't do and you get it on the internet in a live format there's nothing they could do about it and and this could i mean where we could go with this is i mean we could get into uh that that they're able to avoid trail cams and people will still put out hundreds of trail cams sure um and and it's like i said to my colleague at work today i said I said, we're standing in this cubicle, and I said, if I took a four-foot potted pine tree and put it in your cubicle and you came back from lunch, would you notice it, that it's there? Of course you would. And so when dudes are out in the woods taking forest, you know, like 1990s green army camo, like the rain poncho, and wrapping up their deer blind in it, um, and thinking that, okay, this is where I'm going to lay and wait for Bigfoot. Like, I feel like they're going to see that a mile away. They're going to know this doesn't belong here. This is a synthetic thing. And the trail cam is, and I, I think that's why they're so successful. 
Have uh, you ever been camping? Have I? Yes. Out in nature at night when it gets quiet and you can hear that car on the highway about six miles away. You think they can't hear you pull up before you ever even get there. They don't even, you know, yes, I agree. 100%, you know, absolutely. That, that green camouflage, you know, your militia outfit is going to stand out like a neon light in the woods to them, but they already heard your truck coming down the road six miles ago and hauled ass. Yeah. They've already positioned themselves strategically in a place where they can watch you pull up and you don't even know they're there. They're going to see you way before you're going to see them. And we're going to get to that, Matt, about how they're able to make you hear them to scare you when they're approaching, when they want to scare you away from that campsite and how they can creep up to that campsite and you not hear them because it defies physics. But before I get to that, I, I'm going to want to get to the LBL a little bit and just get your take on that. But I, before I do that, I want to get to Alex Midnight Walker, our okay. friend from North Georgia. Uh, Nathan, shout out, ooh, 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 um, who is able to apparently he's communicated in Spanish. That's what um, I've heard. And he has documented some of their words that he believes he knows what some of the words that they use mean. Um. And that he, he's going out in the woods playing guitar. And by the way, Nathan, my brother, is going out to these areas alone. <laughs> and I, yes, yes, sir. So give us your t- uh, give the audience uh, something, some, some info on uh, Alex Midnight Walker and your take, please. Again, I don't know the guy personally. Uh, he's been around for a very long time. I found the Spanish aspect interesting, uh, solely based on a woman who is a member of the Wichita tribe here in Oklahoma, uh, once told me that they speak whatever language the people of that area speak. Okay. Now, how would the Bigfoot learn the language? That's what I want to know. Language has to be taught. Uh, Learned by uh, being encompassed in it on a daily basis. You know, you can obviously pick up a language that way. But otherwise, if I want to learn Spanish, I have to take Spanish. (laughs) It has to be taught to me. So how would a Bigfoot know Spanish? Unless there's something more going on involving psychic phenomenon. And if that's the case, then we don't stand a chance. It, it, you know, still could be Rosetta stone. You don't know that they don't have a subscription. So, okay. Okay. Um, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. Just kidding. Or babble on their smart device. Anyway, I'm sorry. All right. Um, all right. So, yeah, <laughs> Nathan. All right. So, Matt, we, you know what? Like, because, yeah, I could just I, I could just keep going. So I think we just got to have you back for a part two. 
so we can get through the rest of the stuff. Matt, is is that okay with you? <laughs> of you course, man. Anytime. Okay. That's awesome. I mean, there are a lot of shows we do where an hour and a half goes by and we're like, hey, we, we could do another hour and a half. And oh, yeah. Just yeah, easily. Uh, so it's, it's, Matt, it's just been a real pleasure, not just chatting with you tonight, but getting to know you a little bit over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, you've been gracious enough with your time uh, to be a part of our show in various ways. And uh, we look forward to that partnership continuing to grow. Um, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, I think I was into Bigfoot stuff before I was into UFOs. And then I kind of, it just sort of faded off into, uh, into my mind. I didn't think about it much anymore and, until recently. And, and I knew someone who uh, had a UFO experience, who had UFO experiences, but also had Bigfoot experiences. And uh, that really kind of sparked my interest. Um, and I think also speaks to the fact that some of the things that we've talked about earlier, that for folks who've had strange experiences and they've already made some of those known, they may not want to make all of them known because yeah. it, it's the stigma. Right. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's tough. And I, I really admire the work that you're doing and and having a place for folks to tell their stories. It's it's really important and powerful. Yeah, I think we should quit. You know, you know, like I started out saying at the very beginning uh, how we have to put things into different groups to make it make sense for us. I think we got to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, people who are having experiences, regardless of what it is, they're still people and they're still having the same emotions and the same trauma and, you know, all the same issues. So, you know, the, the UFO group, the UAP group of people, the community, absolutely. Uh, the Bigfoot community needs your help. Uh, we all need each other. Same way with the paranormal community. It, it, it's all connected, whether you want to believe the subjects specifically are connected or not. The impact it has on people who encounter these things is all the same. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. And it, it's one of the things that we endeavor to do. Um, I don't, I mean, as far as, you know, we didn't have this in our initial, our original plan of, of the show and our original concept, but it got to that because Nathan sent me an episode of a Bigfoot podcast. And then I was like, oh my God, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, wow. So yeah, thank you for thank you, Tim, and thank you for everybody that chipped in uh, and asked questions. I'm sorry we couldn't get to them all. Uh, we will have Matt. I mean, <laughs> Matt is basically he's a part of Cab Fam. He's our Bigfoot correspondent, mm -hmm. and he's also gonna uh, guest co-host with us uh, when he wants to. Uh, and so you know, you will see Matt on the show, but I want to have him back for this style of a you know, maybe even a, we could do like a fireside next time if you want to do that so that what we can do with the fireside, Matt, uh, the, uh, the fireside chat, and you'll see like a little fireplace in the background <laughs> that Nathan creates, but what it'll be is we'll all kick around topics. We'll, we'll pick one. You'll bring a topic. I'll bring a topic. Nathan will bring a topic, uh, Debs, whomever, uh, Leah, and then it'll just kind of eat everyone. It'll go around the table. So we could do that in, in addition to an interview with you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Nathan has to promise to bring marshmallows next time. You got <laughs> it, man. You got it. Yeah. Done. It's, it's an honor to have you on Matt, but it's even more uh, of an honor to call you friend and to have you collaborate uh, with us on cab. 
So thank you very much, Matt. Uh, the honor's all mine, man. I, I've been so, so happy to have, you know, met you and become friends with you. And, you know, you're introducing me to this wonderful group of people, uh, a wonderful world. You know, like you said, well, you've opened that UFO door for me finally. But, uh, you know, this sort of networking and relationships is what I've always wanted to build. And uh, because of you, it's starting to happen. Awesome, you, brother. We will get you. You 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 got to just tell us what guests that you want that you've heard of. And we will endeavor Nathan and I and Deb. Uh, and believe me, every one of these guys can get guests like uh, nobody's business. And we will endeavor to, to get you that person. So uh, for uh, Matt Knapp, the, the Bigfoot outlaw, my brother, the badass, uh, for Money Nathan, for Debs, for Leah Prime Time, and for the Jewels of the Wood, this is DJ saying peace out, one love, we'll see you down the road. We always wonder what's coming around the bend.